0: How are we all doing? Good? Are we still like hangover from the Patriots game? You know what I'm saying? Was that awesome or what? I'm telling you what. It was amazing. My wife and I were like ripping paint off the walls, screaming. I thought I was going to lose my voice for this morning, so I was praying to God for a miracle. I chest bumped her at halftime. She's home nursing her wounds. She's like, yeah, boom. She was like, you know, went flying. You might see her second service if she's recovered. Anyway, good morning, everybody. My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, I want to welcome you to Connect Community Church. We're starting a new series today, Under the Influence. Are you guys ready for this? You sure? All right, get your worship guides out. You can follow along on version as well on your phones or your uh, iPad or, or iPhone or whatever you use that's not as good as that. Uh, Anyway, here's the theme text. I'm going to get into it right away. I kind of set it up last week. For those of you here last week, um, this theme text is taken from John chapter 8, verse 36. It says, he whom the Son makes free is free indeed. By the way, that word makes is kind of a key word because it's talking about a process and a journey. And, you know, we're really always in the process of being made free, uh, kind of the sanctification process where, we're, where we've received Salvation, but we're working out. There's another part of salvation where we're working it out with fear and trembling. There's a process of growth. Amen out there? And so God wants us to be free. God wants to make us free, and it's a process that we're going to talk about. That's, that's by the way, why I encourage you, speaking of process, to get plugged into a small group at Connect Community Church because really that's where we always work things out. Our vision is four things, really. We want to see people saved. We want to see people delivered, we want to see people redeemed, and we want to see people fulfilled in God's purpose and plan for their life. Well, that delivered part, that happens primarily in the context and safety of something small. A small group is where you can kind of work things out. It's kind of the lab of life. You learn something here and then you go work it out in your small group. And so I want to encourage you to uh, check out our small groups. I think we have directories, kind of a pre-launch today. Of Some of the small groups that are coming out this semester, some of them are still being fine-tuned or whatever, but there's, there's uh, you know, a couple dozen groups available to you throughout the community. You can check that out by getting a directory today at Guest Central, or maybe they're passing them out, I don't even know. Uh, I'm the pastor here, I just find out stuff after the fact. And uh, or you can go to our website, and you can see the small groups on our website. So I want to encourage you. That's, that's a place where you kind of, you're going to take some of the stuff that you're receiving today, and you kind of work it out with people. You work it out in relationship. There's no class where you're just going to learn everything, and retain everything, and have everything all figured out, and fine-tuned. It's a process. It's a journey. Your heart can change in an instant, but our life is being changed over time. Amen? Amen. One day, you know, we will we'll be all perfect. You know, we'll be in heaven. We'll be perfect. But Today, it's a process, and so I can't tell you how important this series is. Um, The birth of this series really came uh, last year, in the last quarter of last year. It was a Sunday night service, SNL we call it, and I was talking about a message called Open Doors. How many were here for the SNL when I talked about Open Doors? Anybody? Raise your hand high. There were just a few. So I'm going to do that. Uh, Eventually, I'm going to do that message again, but I really have just built a whole series around that concept. Uh, called Open Doors. And I've never taught this stuff that I'm going to be teaching you uh, in this series ever in a main service. So this is all new stuff for, for those of you who've been here a long time. And I actually believe that the devil doesn't want me to teach this series. You know why? Because he doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want to get exposed. When the devil's caught, you know, stealing from us, the Proverbs tells us that he must restore seven times that which he's stolen. So I'm getting ready to take back a lot where the enemy has stolen from you and from me. Amen. Turn to your neighbors, say, this is going to be good. Come on, turn to your second choice, say, this is going to be real good. And you need it. And you need it. (laughs) The thought or premise behind the series, uh, just kind of using it with illustration. I don't know if you guys ever seen those cars. Uh, I was going to show a bunch of pictures today, but some of them were so graphic uh, that I I just couldn't do it. But I was looking at... um, Uh, you know, um, different pictures, but it reminded me, I've been going down the road. I can remember going on vacation more than once and you're driving down the highway and you see one of those cars and somebody, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta wonder how jacked up the person must be to drive some of the cars that you see. You know what I'm saying? So the car's going straight down the road, but the whole car was tilted like this. You ever seen something like that? You know what I mean? Um, I've actually been driving on the highway. I took a picture of it and put it on Instagram a while back. And I was driving and uh, wasn't paying attention for a second. So this is kind of a confession right now publicly. And I was kind of like dealing with the radio. And I, I, I remember looking up. And then as I looked up, there was, a, there was a, somebody pulling a truck. And it was tilted. And the nose of it was facing me. And I was like, I just, hit the, I just remember screaming right out. Like I thought somebody was coming down my lane. You know what I mean? Um, but, but, uh, but, but worse than that is, is, is when you see people that are, that are driving or they're operating, as we would say, under the influence of something. Uh, we were at dinner, my wife and I were with a couple just this last Friday night talking about our small group and we were just, we were just sharing some stories, but somehow my wife always says, um, Derek, you magnetize these kind of situations. You're a magnet for, you know, people problems and stuff. And so we'll be driving down the highway and somehow somebody's breaking the law and I'm right behind them, you know what I mean? And I have this like somewhat of a, you know, uh, get involved kind of personality, if you know what I mean. So I'm like taking license plates and I'm watching stuff and, you know, and I'm chasing people. And anyway, that's another story, another series. (laughs) But this particular person was operating under the influence of something that was affecting them adversely, alcohol, drugs, whatever it was, and, and in my experience, it's, it's that, that OUI that some of us have maybe actually had an OUI in our life, uh, that we have a similar thing to what you see with people driving their cars, where it's impaired or impacted their ability to get to the destination appropriately you know to get to where they're supposed to go but they but they don't get there because they're operating under the influence of something and and today's message in the series is about getting out from under some of those influences because as Christians we're all bound for an ultimate destination heaven as you know and that's our home but when we're driving here in life when we're, when we're in this thing that we call life the here and now, it's clear to me that many of us are operating under the influence of something. And it is impairing, it is, a, it is impacting, it is affecting, it is influencing our ability to be effective in this world. We're not actually uh, living the abundant life that God called us to live. We're actually not living in victory the Bible calls us to live in victory in Christ, and many of us are not in that place. And so, so, so there's these influences, albeit they're spiritual or they're fleshly influences. They're affecting us every single, today, every single day. And, and, and as a Christian for many, many years, I, um, I, I don't know many Christians that are truly free. You know, whom the Son sets free or makes free is free indeed. And I don't see that as much as uh, I think we need to. And we need to be free in order to impact and influence our world for God. Because the world looks at us and says, why would I want what you have? Because it doesn't seem to be working in your life. So we have the fire insurance. We have the eternal uh, security established. But in the here and now, we don't see the life that Jesus wants or claims that we can have in Christians. And that's kind of the premise or some of the reason or impetus for this series, because it's going to challenge your thinking, I can promise you that, but, but most have trouble getting to this place of freedom because, you know why? Because we don't believe some of the things that I'm going to talk about today and in the coming weeks. In other words, we can't be free indeed if we don't indeed believe we can be in bondage to something. Let me say that again. We can't be free indeed if indeed we don't believe. We can actually be in bondage to something. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. I'm going to actually um, do something I don't always do um, in church, but I'm going to read an entire section of this. Usually I do just small portions and even verses. But we're going to answer some questions today as we go forward. Is it possible, and again, I encourage you, there's so much to say And that's why I'm just going to dedicate a whole series to this, and I'm going to take my time with this. So you're going to have questions. That's why you need to be here every week, so you can get all the questions answered. And don't, you know, email me 50 million questions today. You know, I won't be able to answer them all, but I will over time, to the best of my ability, answer the questions that you might have. But is it possible for believers to be in bondage? That's kind of a question we'll ask. Can Christians be, listen to this, demon-possessed? We'll talk about that and more. Okay, that just made some people pop up. All right, so now everybody's either like taking notes or their eyes are bugging out of their head. So, so look at this story in Mark chapter 5. This is taken from the gospel of Mark chapter 5. This is called the healing of a, of a demon-possessed man. It says, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes where Jesus got out of the boat and a man with an evil spirit, everybody say evil spirit, In in one translation, it might say unclean spirit. An evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs. So this guy lived, basically, that means like in the cemetery. So just modernize that for yourself. Some guys out there roaming a cemetery. That'd be a little freaky. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. He had supernatural strength. No one was strong enough to subdue him. There's another story about a demon-possessed person in Acts chapter 19, and he just basically beat up and bludgeoned seven sons of Sceva. You can read it there for yourself. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell uh, on his knees in front of him. Uh, or, he, you know, one translation says he worshipped him. The Greek word there is proskeneu. It basically means to bow down. Uh, to pay homage or honor to, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Uh, Swear to God that you won't torture me. Now, this is important for you to note here. This isn't the man talking. This is the demon talking. Everybody track with me here, okay? This is the demon speaking. For Jesus had said to him, and by the way, this is kind of weird uh, but Jesus had previously spoke. This is actually talk, saying that. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And that's when he spoke. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Again, the demon speaks and says, my name is Legion. Uh, and one transla- And then it goes on and says, for we are many. Now a Legion in a Roman um, army, a Legion is 6,826 soldiers. So this dude was demonized, okay? I mean, he had a load of problems. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Demons always want to kind of uh, have a stronghold, kind of a fortified stronghold. They don't want to leave where they are. They, they, they pitch a tent and they want to stay there. And they said, uh, so a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave permission, key word there, He, Jesus, gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. So at least 2,000 demons came out of this man, went into the pigs, uh, and then drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed, which we'll unpack that word today. Uh, they saw that man, by the, leg- uh, the man possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were, you would think they'd say, happy. You would think they'd say, praise God, you know, it's a party. They were afraid. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region, not come here and do a seminar and continue teaching on this and please do a series, but leave town. And Jesus went, was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Again, he hadn't been home with his family a long time because he'd been living in a cemetery. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. Now, Decapolis, if you break that word down, is two words in there. Deca, where we get the, 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 the word ten from, deca meaning ten. And polis is like metropole, metroplex, you kind of get those words. So this was, it's referring to ten Greek cities. You know, some of them you know, Philadelphia, Damascus, not Philadelphia like that you think enough. But anyway. Um, and he went around all these cities just talking about this, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were. Amazed, amazed. Fantastic story, absolutely unbelievable story. Here's what I want you to take away. Three points today, and we're going to unpack these as we go on. Here's the first thing there really are demons. There really are demons. The word demon is used 82 times in the scriptures in the New Testament, 61 times in the Gospels alone. And it's in there, by the way, in the Gospels so much and it's so concentrated in the Gospels because prior to the arrival of Jesus, no one had authority to deal with evil spirits. No one had authority for that. Let, let me just say something as a side. Some of you might be thinking, we'll do more of this later, but, but I was thinking about this whole subject and, you know, do I do this in a Sunday morning? And, and here's my thing, and it's going to make more sense why I do it as we go forward, because there is such a preoccupation with the paranormal. There is such a preoccupation with the spirit world. Movies are out there all the time talking about this stuff and filling our minds and flooding the next generation and our children with this stuff, and then we won't talk about it in church because we're afraid. And the devil actually tried to get me to be afraid about it. Just to be honest with you, there's, there's things about this that are risky for me to be talking about this kind of stuff, but I, want you, I just want to teach you what the Bible has to say about it. Can I do that? And I just think it's relevant, and I think that obviously we have a preoccupation and we have a kind of a interest in the spirit realm, but frankly, we're scared of it. We don't know the authority that we have in Christ Jesus. We don't even know really the truth about certain things, and so I'm going to unpack that for you for the next weeks, six weeks. Amen? Yeah. Can I have a better amen than that? All right, that would help me out. So here's the thing about demons. Demons are fallen angels, if you don't know that. One-third of all the angels fell. Some people call it a great battle. It really wasn't a great battle. It was nothing for God. Uh, They're sometimes referred to as unclean spirits, as mentioned before. Another thing they're referred to as disembodied spirits. Uh, Basically, they enter and are looking for a body to assume residence. Um, it's interesting that one-third fell. When that happened, when I was thinking about that, I kind of have a math side to me. As soon as I thought about that, that means two-thirds remain. That means that for every one that's against me, two are for me. That's what I thought, you know, and, and so that kind of made me happy. But you might think, well, that's still, there's still a bunch of them, and they're pretty tough, and, but the truth is they're not tough in Jesus' name. They're not tough in Jesus' name. When God decided and decides to throw Satan in the pit, you can read this in the book of Revelation. He doesn't even do it himself. In fact, He sends one angel to throw Satan in the pit in the book of Revelation. One angel. Now, of course, it's important that he does it the right way because you can see in the book of Daniel, even when the, the archangel was coming up against uh, Satan, he said, the Lord rebuke you. So you've got to make sure that you're respecting your enemy. But he only sends one angel. My, my feeling is it's going to be something like this. that One day, Jesus is just going to be fed up. And he's going to be, you know, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I want him. Throw, get him. Shackle him up. Throw him in the pit. Amen. And, and the archangel Michael is going to say, uh, You know who? Who do you want to uh, to send? Do you want to? You want and there just be legions of angels, just ready to go. You know, just say the word. Just say the word. No, I don't want to. I don't want to send all those guys. I just want to send one guy. And then Michael says to him, "Well, which guy do you want to send? Just send the new guy. (laughs) Just send the new guy. Because it's really no big deal. It's no big deal. Now make sure, Michael," he says, "in Jesus' name." In Jesus' name. So when you think about demons, their power, we sometimes just, we inflate and flaunt their power. But in Jesus' name, they have no power. Because Jesus doesn't even go himself to throw Satan himself, uh, Lucifer, son of the morning, turn renegade into the pit. He sends an angel. And I think he sends the new guy. Amen. So, anyway, they're disembodied spirits. They're looking for a body. They inhabit bodies. Even Hollywood knows this. I was just seeing a movie about this just recently. Um, you know where the, it's just they have their own characterizations and interpretations, but they they usually get that right. But when Jesus cast them out, they 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 spoke and they said, "Send us into the swine." See, they were looking for a place to reside, which, by the way, uh, confirms my theory that animals can be demon possessed. <laughs> I've seen some of your dogs and some of your cats and some of my neighbors' <laughs> dogs and cats. I was gonna have that's the thing I was gonna have pictures for. And let me just tell you. There are some scary pictures of dogs. I and mean, you look at them, you'd say, for sure that thing is demon-possessed. For sure. I had a friend and he, uh, when I was a boy, and he named his dog Luke. And the dog was always, always, always completely out of control. And I always told him Luke was short for Lucifer. So th- <laughs> there's no doubt. I've seen dogs and several cats that I was certain were demon-possessed. But there are demons. There's no doubt if there weren't demons, we would have to take out a large portion of the Scriptures and Jesus' ministry. Um, and, And there's really this kind of horrible, heretical line of thought that has been taught that Jesus actually pretended to cast out demons... Think about this. Because the culture believed there there were demons. So he was adjusting to the culture, and so he pretended and went along with that. And you can find this rationalization, I was actually reading about it even last night, of this truth in some of the commentaries of today. So when you're studying the word, sometimes as pastors we look for commentaries to see the comments of some reputable theologians and what they would have to say about the subject. Here's some things they said. They said things like referring to demons... These are persons afflicted with especially significant diseases, either bodily or mentally, whose bodies in the opinion, here's the heresy, in the opinion of the Jews, demons have entered and the cure was thought to require the expulsion of a demon. So this was a commentary referring to the Jewish culture's uh, um, um, belief as and, that, and and they called it an opinion that required expulsion. So this suggests that Jesus just kind of went along with it. And this thinking, I just want you to know, is a desecration of the scriptures. It's wrong. Don't ever get caught up in that. Be very, very careful. Here's some scriptural examples to talk about it, just so you're clear. These are in your notes. I'll just read them for you quickly. Matthew 8:16 says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. So the Bible says they were demon possessed and so why would he cast them out if they weren't real? Matthew 9, 32 and 33 it says, as they went out, behold they brought to him a man, mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out the mute spoke and the multitude marveled saying, it has never been seen like this in all of Israel. So it was new to see this kind of authority over evil spirits. Matthew 17, 18 and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured this is cool, from that very hour. So there was no cure prior to the casting out of this devil. Sometimes Jesus, when he ministered to people, he wouldn't speak. He would speak to the spirit of infirmity. You guys catching this? So sometimes we're looking for a cure for something medically or naturally. I believe God heals naturally. I believe God heals medically. But I also believe God heals supernaturally. And sometimes he heals supernaturally by, by discerning. This is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit talking about in 1 Corinthians 12, discerning the spirit. So Jesus would discern the spirit or just speak to the spirit as a spirit of infirmity and they would be healed. Very powerful. This is good news. At the end of the day, this is all going to be good news. So just hang on, okay? Don't get scared. All right? Mark chapter 3, verse 14 says, Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses. By the way, don't forget, add on, and to cast out demons. So we have no problem sometimes believing as Christians that we're supposed to preach and that we're supposed to uh, pray for the sick. Oh, but hang on. Don't bring in all that ghost stuff. Okay? Mark chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 says, So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick, and healed them. Mark sixteen, seventeen. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out what? Demons. Come on, say the word. Demons. They will speak with new tongues. There's another doozy in there, all in the same verse. All right. Here here, let me say this. C. S. Lewis. Anybody ever heard of C. S. Lewis? Okay, very, very renowned, respected theologian. He said there's two groups of people that the devil gets very excited over, and that is the skeptic and the superstitious. These are the two groups of people that he's thrilled about, the skeptic and the superstitious. Let me say it another way. There are people who believe there's a demon behind and under behind every bush and under every rock, and then there are people who say demons don't exist, or they don't exist today. They existed back then. Satan loves both groups. Because both duped. both groups actually are in a form of deception, which is a form of bondage in and of itself. So some people are thinking, this is what happens when I talk about a subject like this. And I can remember this from being in church many, many years. Some people, when I talk about something like this, they're thinking, oh, pastor, let's, 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 let's not talk about that stuff. Let's not talk about stuff. And then there are people are saying, oh, goody, he's getting to the good stuff. <laughs> and let me tell you something about those, both those groups. Both of you need to move to the middle. Move to the middle, because neither one of you got it right, okay? There's just those two camps, and, and, and some people think that every ailment is a spirit and needs to be cast out, and other, things, other times people think it's all about, you know, self-control or some kind of a discipline. You just need more discipline. Nope. There's a little bit of both in this, okay? Listen to it this way. Two camps. Uh, Jack Hayford, another respected theologian that many people probably know, but he says you can't cast out the flesh... And you cannot, um, you cannot disciple a demon. You don't cast out the flesh, and you do not disciple a demon. Okay? In other words, some things are, are a matter of more discipleship. Inside the word discipleship is really that word discipline. There are disciplines. We're in a fasting period right now. This is a spiritual discipline. We're in the second week of the fast. I hope you're joining me. I hope you, if you've failed and you've fallen, you, you haven't done so well at it like you want to, just get back up and keep, get after it. You know what I mean? But it's about tuning our body so that our spirit man has jurisdiction as a tripart being, spirit, mind, body. The spirit is ruling instead of the mind ruling or the body ruling. And that's what's happening almost all the time, every single day of our life. And that's, some of that is discipline. But some of, it, some of the problems that we're having are related to the, the, the spirit side of things. There are spirits that are influencing us and affecting us and causing us to struggle. And so the age-old question is, do we need more discipleship or do we need more deliverance? And the answer is yes. You get that? Turn to your neighbor and say, that's good. All right? In other words, when I realized, I'm just speaking for myself, when I realized I had some demonic bondage in my life, as a believer, let me tell you this, as a minister of the gospel, okay, I mean, can can we be real this morning? Can you guys handle this? Okay. So I can remember early in ministry, you know, being in the church and I couldn't, I couldn't even, I'd see a pretty woman coming to church and I could be completely distracted by that. I couldn't pay, I couldn't pay attention. It was, I, my thoughts were being pulled in different directions. I couldn't focus on what actually God was trying to say to me, through me, uh, you know, to other people because of a spirit of lust. It was a spirit. I didn't need discipline. I mean, that was part of the process. I needed deliverance. I couldn't control myself. And it was a spirit. It was a spirit that I could get see, set free from. I can remember somebody talking to me one time, many, many years ago about this subject. I had an ice cream cone in my hand, and he was talking to me. He was just unpacking the scriptures, just telling me how Christians can be in bondage and how Christians can be affected by spirits. It can be and, and, uh, demons. He kept using the word demons. Every time he used the word demons, he get uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And the more he talked, I just kept listening, listening, listening. And eventually he's like, I, I said, do you think I got demons? And he says, oh, yeah. He, he, by the way, he, he, he didn't hold back at all. You know what I mean? He said, yeah, you got a whole flock of them. And I can remember the ice cream just melting over my hand. You know what I mean? I'm like, because I couldn't, I couldn't pay attention. I, I've never let an ice cream melt ever again since, just so you know. So that, I knew it was God. You know what I mean? There's something serious about it. And I can remember just thinking, I got demons. I got demons. Oh, my gosh. I was freaking out. But then I started to read the word and I started to see what the Bible had to say about it. And I started to see what it meant to have an identity in Christ, which is the badge, which says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. But then I learned that God wants to give us as Christians weapons. And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And that we can cast down imaginations and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And I learned how to take authority, you know, with the name of Jesus, over These spiritual forces that were at work attacking my life and influencing my life to be able to get free from lust, be able to get free from anger. I used to punch holes through walls and beat, try to beat people up and be an intimidator and a scary kind of dude and, and be proud of it. But inside I was filled with insecurity and I was, I was filled with all huge identity issues and the fear of man. But God set me free by his word through discipline, memorizing the scriptures, Proverbs I memorized, and James I memorized through discipline, but also through deliverance where people prayed for me and took authority in the name of Jesus over those spirits of anger. Is anybody getting something out of this? So I'm just trying to say, don't be upset. This ought to get you excited because you can be free from these different areas in your life. And in over 20 years of ministry, the only people I've ever seen who can't get free are the people who won't admit they're in bondage. Ever. So if you admit it, you can get free. Number two, they really do enter people. Here, let me, let, me, let me unpack this for you. So they really are demons and they really do enter people. John 10, 1 says, most assuredly, or very true is what it could say, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, sheepfold is talking about believers, by the door, God is the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. He's trying to say the thief can get in, okay? Verse 10, the verse we all know, the thief does not come except for to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they might have it more abundantly. Now, sometimes we misquote that scripture and we say the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's not what it says. It says the thief the thief does not come except for to steal, kill, and destroy. I won't unpack the Greek language on this, but basically it's saying the only reason Satan comes, it's trying to make a very strong and emphatic point, that the only reason that the devil comes is to kill, steal, and destroy. It's, it's, it's just extreme emphasis. And so a Christian can be, uh, uh, can, or can, here's the question of the day, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Let's look at the word more closely, the word demon-possessed. And I'm going to get a little teachy with you, but here we go. Are you, can you handle it? Yeah. Demon-possessed in the Greek is this word, demon-i-zomai, demon-i-zomai, demon-possessed. A better translation should be or could be demonized, not demon-possessed. Possession, rarely in the scriptures, in most cases, refers to ownership. When we think possess, we think own us. We think own. But actually the translation or the more appropriate translation of this word possession is to gain mastery. That's the exact literal translation, is to gain mastery. Or a synonym might be control over, power over, influence over. Of. That's where I got the series idea. Influence. Under the influence. So in this book that we read, Mark chapter 5, he's not talking about possession ownership, but he's talking about uh, possession mastery. Under the control of. Under the influence of. Does that make sense to everybody, what I'm saying? In fact, Luke 21, 19, I think it's in your notes. This is an example, uh, so you can make, see, see the clarification. By your patience... Jesus is speaking here, by the way, possess your souls. He's saying, he's saying Jesus wasn't saying own your souls. He's saying master your soul, regain mastery of your own soul. He told us in other places, if you don't, you have to lose your soul, you know, because uh, you're ultimately going to lose it. So you got to surrender it yourself. The Bible tells us you were bought with a price. You're not your own. You don't even belong to you. All right. So so Jesus wouldn't be saying in the end times you need to own your own soul again. He was talking about gaining mastery of your soul again. Is everybody following out there? And that's what kind of messes people up. So can Christians, Christians can't be owned by a demon. That's correct. We are owned by God. Okay. Can a Christian be under the power of a demon in a certain area? The answer is yes. They can. They can. They can. I Zomai, here's some definitions from other theologians. Thayer's definition says this. You don't have to know this stuff, but it says to be under the power or influence of a demon in a certain area, like lust, gluttony, unforgiveness, resentment, and on and on. Another definition, Naida's definition says, one cannot speak of a person being possessed by a demon. A more appropriate expression may be the person possesses or has a demon. In another instance, an idiomatic phrase is employed, the demon rides the person. Like a a horse with bits, you know, and, and all that. The demon rides the person, or the demon commands the person, all right? So... Just think about this, as I, translate from, if I, as I transition from definitions and scripture, just think about this in your own life. Is there, ever, is there an area, ever or now, where you feel powerless and helpless to change in that particular area? Have you ever confessed, like me, a sin over and over and over and over? And how many overs can I put in there and over and over again? Let me just tell you something. Wake up. That's a demonic stronghold. That's what that is. And you know what we do as Christians, what the devil tries to get us to say and understand? We say things like, it's, a, it's just a weakness I have. Just a weakness I have. It ain't a weakness if you had it for 20 years. It's, it's a demonic spirit that is riding you, controlling you, commanding you. And I'm telling you this Because I have good news. I know the one who can set you free from that. That's why I'm I'm talking about this. Not to make you feel bad or make you feel guilty. let's, let's Let's just say today after church you go home and you discovered in this cold weather you left a crack in your window or you left your door open to your house. And you get home and you discover that there is a thief in your home. Does that thief own your home? No. Does that thief possess, in some measure, influence, have control of your home? Yeah. Yes. Yes, he does. There's a thief in your house. Does that thief, you know, want to wreak havoc and steal from you? Absolutely. He is in your house. And I'm going to tell you things that hopefully will sink in. Hopefully you realize this and you kind of have an uh-oh kind of moment. But there's, there's a thief... In some of y'all's house, listen, the devil in, 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 in areas, many areas in our life, is, is, he's gone into different rooms of our life, and he has control over different rooms in our house, and we need to learn how to accept the fact that that's a reality and learn how to arrest and evict him from our house. You need to take him out with handcuffs. Because if you don't, he's going to kill, steal, and destroy according to the word. Let me show you some Old Testament examples quickly. Lamentations 1.10 says, The adversary, that's Satan, spread his hand over all her. That's talking about Israel, the church. Pleasant things, for she, the church, has seen the nations, the enemy, enter into her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter her assembly. But they did. Lamentations 4.12, these are just Old Testament references. Um, types and shadows of the things that we see in the new. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed in the adversary and the enemy could not enter the gates of Jerusalem. But if you go on to read, they did. Joel 2.9, they run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the window like a thief. We're going to discuss next week how to close doors and windows and how they get in. But let me say it this way. If a man, let's just say it's a believer, filled, saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, drinks too much alcohol or some drug into his body, do those drugs or those alcohol own him? No, they don't. But are they in him? Yes. Are they influencing him? Yes. Many times what happens in those instances is that same God-fearing, God-loving man will end up doing something eventually out of character that brings shame and pain into his life. It happens all the time. And we call it something that it's not. We pretend and deny and get frustrated. And some people even quit on the faith because they're so discouraged that they can't be free. If a man... We get even more real who is a Christian or a woman, looks at pornography. To say this, you know, clearly, you're opening a door to the enemy. Yes, that's what's happening. And he won't own you, but you know it yourself. And there are dozens and dozens of you in the room that struggle with this by statistics. You know You're under the influence of something. That's why I'm using this reference that you cannot seemingly control. And it's not discipline. It is a spirit. It is a spirit. You're under its influence. You may be a good man, a good woman, a good father, a good grandfather. But what happens is, and the enemy just rides you long enough to convince you you got it. And then you'll do something out of character, something totally out of character because of the spirit's control. And if you're starting to get depressed, again, don't be depressed. Because first, again, I want to remind you, there are demons, number one. Number two, they really do enter people. Here's the third point. Ready for this? Jesus really does cast them out. Amen. Jesus really does cast Can I have a better amen? amen? Jesus really does cast them out. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. This is after he, first he sent the 12, then the 70. He said, then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So I think this is what Jesus was like. I think when he, they said that, these 72 were amazed. Even the demons are subject to us? And Jesus is like, really? <laughs> really? It's the Son of God. He, I, no, I don't think he was like that. Okay? And then he goes on to say, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, that all doesn't impress me, 72. That doesn't impress me. See, he's a created being, and I'm the creator, okay? I saw him fall like lightning. Uh, Behold, I give you, everybody say me, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. By the way, he's not talking about bugs there. These are types and shadows. It's referring to the demonic powers. These are references to demons. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. So don't get all too excited about, you know, demons and and spirits are subject to you. But it's important to know, and I want you to understand, because I don't think we do today, they are subject to you and must be submitted to you. Amen? But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So this is the most important part, your eternal security, salvation, and being with God forever. But while you're down here, you need to know you have authority over these things, and I've given it to you in my name. Jesus rejoices in the spirit. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Listen to this. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things. What things? Authority over demonic strongholds. You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent. Here's what I want to say to smart people. This is what Jesus said. He said, I thank you that you've hidden from the smart people. There's a lot of smart people who think, ah, no, 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 I don't believe any of that, I don't believe any of that. And Jesus said, thank you, God, that you've hidden it from them, but you've revealed it to babes, people who have childlike faith, and say, Jesus said it, that settles it, I believe it, I'm doing it. That's, that's what he's saying here. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. It amazes me how many people don't believe they're real, but yet they're really struggling all the time. A guy said to me one time, you don't believe in demons? You know, and I said, no, I believe in demons because I talk to people that don't believe in demons and, and, they, and I was just raised in spiritual warfare and I, my whole life has been, been totally set free when I was introduced to what God had to say about this subject and spiritual warfare and learning how to overcome that. But, you know, one time he said I was talking to somebody and they said they didn't believe in them and I just said, so you don't cast them out? And they said, no, we don't even believe in them. He said, so you just leave them there? It was just this pure innocent and really that's the two choices you have the two choices are leave them in or cast them out and you might feel bad when you again when you see certain realities here about this but again be encouraged you can be free you can in fact cast these things out we don't have a problem sometimes believing God has the power to this is how the enemy really gets you and I'm going to take it up another notch we don't have a problem believing God has the power but we have the enemy does somehow convince us that our problem is unique and he reminds us of our history doesn't he do that pretty good let me remind you of your past and, it's, and he overwhelms it with us with that and he says yeah they can get free but you can't get free I want to tell you something personally I pray the Holy Spirit speaks to you, Derek. You can get free. Not you. You can get free. Derek can get free. And I want to remind you from, from Mark chapter 5 that there was a man there that was totally, totally demonized. Naked, cutting himself and living in the cemetery. Let me tell you something. If that man who had maybe 2,000 to 6,000 demons can get free, you can get free. None of you, all you all got your clothes on. All right? In Mark chapter 5, verse 6, taking you back to that thing, that particular chapter, it says, When he saw Jesus from afar, think about this. He sees Jesus from afar. From afar he, look at what his disposition and attitude was about the realities of Jesus. He ran to him and worshiped him. He ran to him and worshiped him. Some of you need to run to God in order to be free, but some of you run from God and you don't get free. See, Satan does not have the power to... This is what this verse tells me. Satan does not have the power to stop you from getting free. If he he could have stopped anybody, he would have stopped this guy, but he didn't stop that guy. The only thing that has the power to stop you from getting free is you. So if you have a weakness, you have a stronghold, an area of sin in your life you can't get over that you're in bondage. Jesus wants you to run to Him to be free. I want the prayer team to come down if you wouldn't mind right now. And I, I, this is what we're going to do. It's be a little different this morning. Um, why don't you just stand up, everybody? Just stand up, would you? Put your book, put your notes away, Bibles away, and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to I'm going to give you a couple of options, okay? This is one of the things that I prayed. I prayed uh, for you a lot. That you would experience a, a church where the, where, the, where the environment is safe, where it's safe. I, be, with, with 100% confidence, know that everybody, including myself, need more freedom. There's not one person that doesn't need freedom, more freedom. So everybody can literally respond to this. And we can't pray for, well, yeah, we will if we have to. We'll pray for everybody if we have to somehow. All right, but I want to encourage you to keep coming back every week, and and like peeling an onion, you just you just get more and more freedom. The Bible says that the truth that you know will set you free. By the way, that know isn't head knowledge, information knowledge. That know is like experiential knowledge, revelation knowledge. It's like a woman who knows she's pregnant is different than a man who says we're pregnant. So I, when you when you come to church each week, I want you to literally meditate and chew and stew and 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 just take all this stuff in and then don't just dismiss it and push it aside you need to be praying this stuff through you need to take those notes home be studying those scriptures see what the Bible has to say you need to apply some of the things that you learn here today to your devotional life tomorrow or tonight before you go to bed so you can be continually made free does that make sense to everybody he whom the Son makes free is free indeed. All right? But we're going to do today. We're just going to pray for you to assist the process. And so leaders are just going to say, in Jesus' name, you know, in Jesus' name, that's the key word, be free in Jesus' name. Those of you that don't feel like you need to be prayed for or just not comfortable at this particular time, I want you to worship to this next song. We're just going to pray where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. And I want you to create a conducive environment for there to be freedom. Worship and intercession praise and prayer they work hand in glove with each other so don't hinder the spirit by your resistance to him but invite the holy spirit into your life into the church into the lives of your brothers and sisters who are praying to be free because when people are free it changes the world around us can i have an amen out there all right so i'm going to pray for you okay before i do those of you who need more information about what's going on tonight 5:30 in the lower auditorium is is christianity 201 Food, child care, everything's covered. Just go. You're going to love it. Marriage retreats, sign-ups downstairs. If you want to know more information about that, small group information, hey, get plugged in. But be in church every single week. Get ready to get free. Get seeking God like never before. This is your year of freedom. This is your year of freedom. Come on. Let's just raise our hands, all right? At any point in this song, when you want to get prayed, you just come down front. They're not going to do anything crazy, you know, and they're just going to pray for you. Nothing weird, nothing wacky. This is a safe house. The Holy Spirit came to to, to save us and to set us free, not to scare us and freak us out, okay? So this is just about overcoming the enemy, and and we have authority over the enemy. So I thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you want to pour out your spirit. You know there are people in this room, all over this room, God, that need freedom in Christ. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they could experience the total freedom that you have for us, that you made available for us on Calvary. I thank you, Lord God, that we have authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and every evil, evil spirit and unclean spirit and familiar spirit. We rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. And and I speak to you, enemy, in the name of Jesus. You get your hands off these people. You leave their, their household. You leave fathers and husbands and grandfathers you leave wives and 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 mothers you leave children and young people and the next generation that have been oppressed oppressed not possessed by the devil they have been mastered and not owned we are under the ownership of jesus christ we were bought with a price and that price made it possible for us to be totally free in jesus name and everybody said amen and amen